What's up, everyone? Welcome to Impact Church Online. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your very first time tuning in, how about giving us a thumbs up? Or if you call Impact Church your church home, giving us a heart. Hey, we really miss you guys and love you guys. If you need anything, don't hesitate to give us a call or send us a message. Now, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, so let's join our live service. Day and night, night and day, the praises rise. Day and night, night and day, the praises rise. Day and night, night and day, the praises rise.
Father God can do what needs to be done. Man's words, a song, a prayer, even it takes your presence, Holy God. And we ask your presence to fill the homes, to fill the internet, to touch hearts, to bring peace. God, let us, let us, Father, experience your glory today. We're so appreciative. We're so appreciative, Holy God. That we can feel what we feel, that we can feel your manifested presence, that we can experience the results of your presence in this place today and in the homes today. And God, we just thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Good morning. Welcome to Impact Church Live. I hope you're feeling the presence of God wherever you are like we are in this house this morning. It's good to be here. It's good to see you through the web this morning. It's going to be an awesome day. God is going to do great things. You have a tremendous word from Donna that I believe will change many lives. Before we get started with the ministry of the word, I want us to pray. It's so important that we pray. You know, the Word of God says my house should be called a house of prayer. And we need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for our nation. I was listening last night to a, a prophet uh, from, from Jerusalem, Israel. And he said in 2016, the Lord began to speak to him about the things that we're experiencing here today in the, in the United States and in the world. And he said, God is going to shake the nations. And then there's going to be a calm. He's going to shake the nations again. There's going to be a calm. And he said, during this calm, we have to pray that God will send forth the harvest. He said, we cannot let the harvest be stolen as it has been stolen in past years and past times of revivals. And we want to pray for that today. And he also talked about the evil that's in the nations. And he, and he said, don't be confused in thinking we're praying about a person who's ruling a nation. And I thought about Ephesians 6 where Paul says, we're not praying against flesh and blood. But powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. This man said God showed him spider webs just permeating nations. And in the middle of those webs there was a like a queen spider and sending out the orders and destroying and all of this. And he, and he said it's, it's systems of evil that we have to pray against. Let's don't, let's don't make it about a person. Let's don't make it about a single political party. Let's make it about the systems of evil that the enemy wants to destroy nations. Yes. And he said he's working through finance. He's working through the media and he's working through government. Can we say that is truth? We see that today in our own nation, how the enemy is taking control of these areas. And he's bringing his evil doctrine and his evil agenda in to destroy the nation, to destroy the next generation. So I want us to pray, and I'm going to ask Terry and also Wayne Parks if he will come. He's one of our holy ten today. We're so thankful for Wayne. Prayer warrior, intercessor. And I'm going to ask them if they will pray for our not only our nation, but the nations of the world today. Please join us as we pray this morning. Father, we lift up this nation and nations around the world, God. There, We're all as a nation and nations teetering in a position of frailty right now. God, people are afraid, and they, they, they should be. But God, we have our trust in you. So those that know you, those that put their trust in you, know that we're overcomers. God, that we can get that message of hope to the world. But God, I lift up the nations of the world, God, and we pray for the leadership of each nation. God, we pray for uh, wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding. We pray for Holy Spirit impartation into leadership that those men and women that lead nations throughout this globe will have a visitation from you. They will hear from you. They will have divine inspiration to make the changes to lead this nation and other nations towards you, God. Let us return to you, Holy God, during this time of uh, distress and a little bit of calm as we see things starting to turn, Lord. God, we pray that we would run to you and you would be our only source in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God. Most holy and righteous God, we thank you as we lift up this nation. Again, the body of Christ is the answer. The body of Christ prays for a nation, and the nation begins to turn. It doesn't turn because it has all the might or all the money. It turns because of the prayers of the saints. 
the prayers of the saints turn this thing, Father. It turns whatever is ailing the nation at the time. Right now, it happens to be COVID-19. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the prayers that's going up right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the prayers that's going up for the president and his administration. We thank you that we have a president that's seeking your face and your your uh, answers and not the answers of men. We thank you that we have a president that that wants people to pray for him, that has people praying for him even right now, Father, and that he hears them and he listens to them, Father. And then he seeks your face, Lord. That's how we get our answers. You've given our leaders right here answers before all this broke through, Father. You, we have leaders that were ahead of this thing, and we were praying because we are praying church. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for that because that's what's needed, Father. We need a nation of pastors that hear your voice and that, and that go and do the things that you command them to do, Father. And that will lead their congregation in the way that you would have them to lead them, Father. Oh, Father, this is the time for the church to rise up. Yes. To rise up and show the power, show ourselves strong, show the power of God. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for hearing and answering the prayers of the saints this morning. As this nation goes forward in the name of Jesus, it will not be stopped by evil forces. It will not be stopped by anyone. But we have to do what you ask us to do. We have to be a praying nation. We have to take this nation back to God. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be right here where we're supposed to be. Seeking your face. Oh, it's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Thank you, Wayne and Terry. Thank you so much. You know, the other words that many of the prophets have said to us, and you know, God does nothing unless he tells his prophets first. That's what the word of God tells us. But what we're hearing is if the church doesn't pray in this hour, we're in trouble. The nations are in trouble. And this particular prophet that I was listening to was was talking about several years ago, or several months ago, actually. He was in China, and there was a lot of unrest and turmoil going on in China. And he had re- received this word about the church praying. And he said the, the underground church in, in China just flooded the streets at the risk of their own lives. But he said as they, as they began to praise and worship God, you could see the calm start to fall on the, on the uprising. And nation after nation, and the church has to pray. We need to pray. We need to seek God's face. We need to repent as a nation. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence and and just to speak to you, to speak your word back to you that you have given to us, holy God. Lord, we desire that our nations be healed. We desire that all the nations be healed. We desire, God, that, that your word go forth because we know it never returns void. We declare healings of the nations. We declare that nations would follow hard after you and seek only your face. God, we desire that leaders would rise up. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice, your word tells us. So, God, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful, Father God, for the healing power of God. And I pray now for every person listening, watching, whatever format they're using, Father God, that the healing power of God, of Jehovah Rapha, would fill their room and fill their homes, Father, and healing would take place and bodily sicknesses would be healed in the mighty name of Jesus and diseases would be eradicated in the mighty name of Jesus. God, that's the promise of your word, that you're the Lord God who heals all of our diseases. Father, we pray for the emotional health of the nation in our own cities. We pray for businesses, Father, that are struggling, and they're worried about their income. And, Father, I thank you, God, that you're the provider. You're Jehovah Jireh to these people. I pray for that beautiful peace, that Jehovah Shalom that you are, and that you speak peace into the hearts and lives of every person. God, I pray this, this is a time that you get the attention of the world and you get the attention of even your complacent, sleepy Christians, those that are slumbering, Father. Wake us up, Holy Spirit, that we might see, that we might hear. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches in this hour. God, we're so, so in all of your presence, 
So in all of your word, so in all of you, Lord, that you care. As David said in Psalm 8, what are we that you would even think of us, Father God? But yet you gave to us your creation to have dominion over. What is man that you would even think of us, God? But you loved us so much you sent all you had to redeem us, to put us back into relationship through the sacrifice of your son. God, we're so appreciative. We can't thank you enough. We can't say thank you. We can't say hallelujah enough. We can't love you enough. We can't articulate enough. We thank you, God. And we just want to bring honor to you today. Let every word that goes forth from this moment forward, Father, be only to bring honor and glory to you. Let every word be rightly divided. And God, I pray that it will never return void, that it will touch hearts and lives and of, of the people that are going to be hearing and receiving. Father, whether it's today or next week or whenever it may be, God, you know. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you in Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, holy God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. We've kind of enjoyed doing the online, except we miss our congregation. And we'd love to have our congregation here while we do online. And we will continue, obviously, doing the online. But we also want our, we miss our church family. And so when we have any opportunity to be together in, in the numbers that we need to maintain, we take that opportunity. So we're so thankful. Thank you, worship team. It's awesome today. But back on March 29th, I actually ministered on overcoming adversity and turning adversity into advantage. And it was kind of at the beginning of all that we're experiencing right now, maybe not fully understanding what was coming to pass and maybe how, how great this adver adversity was really going to be, and especially for some people. And as we've gone through the coronavirus lockdown, you know, the political agendas that we've heard on the news broadcast, and we watch people lose their livelihoods, and we see that some are struggling so much even in this very time, in their emotions and in their health. And, and so we see this is happening. And, and, and as Wayne said, much of the leadership of impact and also voices around the globe are hearing that this is a divine Paul's opportunity. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe it's a divine Paul's opportunity. It's a time to pause and determine what's really important to us. It's a time to take a breath. It's a time to realize what we really need and what we really don't need. And it's a time to recognize where maybe where we've taken things, people, opportunities for granted. I believe it's a time to reflect. It's a time to refocus. It's a time to refine. It's also a time to regroup our lives and our, and our ministries. And many of us have heard this new little, I heard this several months ago. There's a new normal coming and some people have taken opposition to that. Well, you know, I don't want the old normal. I don't know about you. The old normal got us into the place we're in today. I want the new normal. And that just means that life as we knew it, knew it then will be gone, I believe. I don't think we'll ever go back to the way we knew life. I'm not saying it's, it's not a, it's, it's a great thing, really. And a new way of living, of operating, of thinking, of anticipating. It's a new way of being the church, I believe. And, you know, we've done church for so long, but it's time to be the church. It's time to be the church. But I want to ask us, what have we learned about ourselves during this time of divine pause, of reflecting? And I believe that, you know, even back in, I believe it was on uh, March 22nd, I gave us a 40-day 40 40 um, commitment to, you know, let's just reflect on ourselves. And, and this past week, I was actually reading for some Jewish studies that I get just online, just weekly emails. And it was talking about the counting the Omer. Counting the Omer, and I passed that out to the staff. I thought it was pretty good, but it, it was talking about those 50 days between Passover and Pentecost and how the first 40 days are a time for reflection. It's a time for looking at ourselves and preparation for where God is going to take us. The next nine days of the 50 are for intense prayer, and then, of course, that 50th day is for the outpouring of power, which I believe is the harvest that's coming. It's time to begin the harvest. And so we need, we need to think about where we're going as people of God and as churches, as local bodies and assemblies. And as we were praying Tuesday with our intercessory prayer group, we have online phone prayer. One of our intercessors mentioned the word reset. And immediately it sparked my memory because in 2019, that was our theme. Reset for victory in 2019. And, and so I felt that the Lord said to me, I want you to minister on resetting again on resetting again, which I love that. That's not a problem. But, you know, God always gives us a heads up in what's coming. And I was thinking, you know, he told us to prepare or to reset in 2019 for what? For 2020. And we knew that. 
We knew we were resetting in 2019 for 2020. We did not know what 2020 was going to bring and to the depths and what it has brought. But I think it's how ironic is it that we find ourselves in this pause period when we are forced to slow down, to rethink, and to reset, to reboot our life. Maybe in some cases it might be total restoration or reestablishment of values, whatever it might be to you. But as I was thinking through the Scripture, I thought, well, did God ever tell, tell his people in the Scripture to reset? And you know what? The first Scripture I thought about was Jeremiah six sixteen, And this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. And the notes are online, by the way, if you want them. First, he said, stop at the crossroads. Now, what is a crossroads? A crossroads is a place where decisions have to be made that have very far-reaching consequences. So when you come to a crossroads in your life, you know that you've got a decision to make that's going to possibly affect you for the rest of your life, like who you marry, where do you go to school, what career you choose, decisions you make, sacrifices you make. Maybe even when the enemy's testing you and and maybe he's testing you or tempting you to do something you know that could bring harm to your family, there's a crossroads there and you have to make a decision that could affect you for the rest of your life. So he said, stand at the crossroads. And number two, he says, look around, ask for the old godly ways and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But listen to this. But the nation said, no, that's not what we want to do. That's not the road we want to walk on. And and the Lord said, I posted watchmen over you, prophets, intercessors, who would say, listen for the sound of the alarm. Let me tell you, there's been a lot of alarms going off. We had tornado alarms last night going off. But there's been Holy Spirit alarms going off in our nation for a long time. And it's the church hearing what God is saying. But he said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention to that either. And I think that's where we might be as a nation. But let's just look. He he told them five things. Actually, in your notes, I have four, but I want you to add a fifth one. Number one, he said, stop. Take a pause at the crossroads. And he said, I just want you to stop. Stop all your activity. You know, if we don't stop, God has forced us to stop, right? Or something, this, this situation has forced us to stop. And then he said, I want you to look. Where are you in life? Look at your priorities. Look at your relationship with God. Look at your relationship with others. Where are we in life? Where are we as a nation? Where are you as a family? Where are you as an individual? And then he said, I want you to ask. And he told them what he wanted you to ask for. He said, I want you to ask for the godly ways, the old godly ways. And what is that? That's God's wisdom. That's God's revelation. That's God's direction. And then he said, I want you to walk. Take a step. Begin to step. Begin to move forward. Move in a direction. Get up and get off of it. And let's move. Let's walk. And then the fifth thing he said was travel its path. In other words, stay on it. Stay on the path that you have chosen to take. And and so we see the context is the nation of Israel was filled with idolatry and immorality. And God was giving them a warning to return to him. Now many, if not most of the prophets, maybe all of the prophets I have heard think that we are being... We are being given a warning in our nation today. We're being given a warning in our nation today. And decisions have to be made because we're at a crossroads. We've come to a stop. We're at a crossroads. And now we, he says, I want you to ask for the godly, the old godly ways. Are we asking for the old godly ways or are we just going to waiting for this thing out? Then we're going to go right back as usual to, norm, to our old normal. And I believe that God is asking us to make that decision. It's a life or death decision. And some of us have heard, and, and it's been confirmed through some of the, the prophets, that we are in a life and death situation in our nation, in many of our churches, maybe even in your family, personally, individually. We're in a life and death situation in our nation. And it will be determined by the path that we take. We want to take the right path, don't we? We want to take the godly path. So why, why do I think we're at a crossroads? Well, several years ago, David Wilkerson gave a prophecy about our nation. I think it was 30, 40 years ago, maybe. And he said that there's a reckoning coming. There's a reckoning coming. And it's because of the sins of the nation. Because the nation refuses to repent. Remember I said a moment ago there's an evil system that's wanting to destroy our nation. It's not just about a man or a woman or a political party. It's an evil system that's trying to destroy our nation that's working through individuals. But let me tell you what some of the problems are in our nation We can now claim over 60 million unborn babies murdered. 
Let me tell you, the blood, the blood of our children is crying out to God, and God is saying there's a reckoning going to have to come if we don't repent. We've got to repent of this sin. So God is, I believe God is answering the cry just like he did of, of when the children of Israel were in Egypt. He said, I've heard your cry. I've, I see your, your suffering. I feel your pain. I believe he's answering that cry. It's a nation that is rampant with immorality and pervasion, a perversion, excuse me, on all levels, on all levels. It's a nation that was once sacred and holy. The things that were once sacred and holy are now held in contempt by many and considered to be even irrelevant today. And unfortunately, part of that is the church views it that way as well. It's a nation where churches are embracing the worldview. I just read a Barna statistic yesterday that said more, more people in our nation believe in Satan than they believe in Jesus. They more believe in Satan. See, he's doing a number on people. He's deceiving them, just like we talked about last week with Adam and Eve. It's a nation that is filled with violence and greed. And it's a nation whose government is polarized, not in just two political parties, but two very different opposing ideologies of life. And it is so clear, it's almost like ideology of good versus evil, black versus white, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. And I believe we watched our nation become more divided than we have united in the, in the last, especially in the last decade or more. We've watched our nation become more divided than we have united. And so the Lord is saying to our nation, I believe, I want you to return to the old godly past. I, I want you to return to what's important to me. I want you to return to my priorities. And so as I was thinking about that, I said, okay, God, let me think about what are your priorities? And God's priorities are revealed through Christ, aren't they? God's priorities are revealed through Christ. And just thinking through, uh, you know, what did Jesus come to the earth to do? Well, first and foremost, he came to, to show reverence for the Father. What, when Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment, what did he say in Matthew twenty two thirty seven? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's priority number one is to serve God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And then we also see in Luke 19.10 that Jesus said he came to seek and save those who are lost. We can never forget the lost. And many times I think it's very easy to jump on the prosperity bandwagon. And God wants us prosperous. He wants us restored. Why does he want us prosperous? So we can win souls. So we can feed the hungry. Not so we can buy bigger houses and more cars and a bigger boat and all this other stuff. And God might give you that anyway. I think if you give to God what he wants, you can have anything you want, really. But the problem is it grabs our heart and we become greedy and we become selfish. And we're no longer concerned about the loss. We're more concerned about a building than we are the people of the building. It's more important that we have big, huge buildings and structures and edifices. But what about the people? What about the people that are hungry and dying? I was, I was kind of online this morning uh, with a, kind of a friend out of, in and out, I mean indirectly, from uh, Africa. And, his, and one of his posts was, can somebody just bring a bag of rice to this family? A bag of rice. And I'm thinking, we in this nation, even in this time of crisis, I don't know anyone that doesn't have food to eat. I don't know anyone. I, we keep saying, does anyone know anyone that needs anything? And we keep hearing, no. We, everybody we know is good. So we don't know. So, But I'm telling you, if you're blessed, you're blessed to bless the kingdom. You're blessed to expand the kingdom. And we've got to keep that in our heart. It's all about souls. And we've got to get our focus off of just material things and that mammon spirit that's in the church and we've got to get it onto the people that's the most important thing to god is the people jesus says i came to seek and save those who are lost that's what jesus came for should the church be focused on anything less no we should not be and then he said he came in in first john 3 8 the, the word of god says he came to destroy the works of the devil we talked about this last week what's the works of the devil he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Poverty. That's a work of the devil. That's not a work of God. That's not a blessing. That's a curse. So he came to destroy the world. How about bondage? How about addictions? Do you know that we're seeing addictions rise and overdoses arise during this, arise up during this time? We're seeing more addictions, more addiction problems. We're seeing more violence. We're seeing all of these things increase during this time of stress. That's a work of the enemy. He wants, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So what is life? That's the word zoe in the Greek, and it's that God kind of life. It's an abundant life. Success is having what you need when you need it, right? And having more than you need when you need it. 
So uh, we, we, he says, I've come to set the captives free. And, that, you know, Luke 4, 18, uh, he says that he came to give freedom to those who have been crushed and bruised by life. And that might be some people listening here today. We talked about shame on Sunday and on Wednesday night. Many people have been bruised and crushed by shame, by abuse, by neglect, by abandonment. And he said, I came to heal that. Should the church not be doing the same thing? Absolutely it should. And then fourthly, he said he came to preach the good news or the message of the kingdom. And that's in Luke 4, 43. And what is the message of the kingdom? That salvation has come and it only comes through Christ Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. And if we believe that, we might as well throw this away. If we don't believe that. If we don't believe that, we might as well throw this away. And there's a lot of even pastors that say, well, I'm not sure Jesus is the only way. Let me tell you, he's the only way. That's what this word says. There's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. And the incredible thing about it is God's ear is open to the cry of the repentant. And regardless of where we are in our relationship with God, maybe we don't even have a relationship. He's just saying, just come to me. Just say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. I need you in my life. And you know what he's going to be? He never turns away those who come with a repentant and a humble heart. And that's, that's how awesome our God is. So how can we love God with all of our heart, or all of our soul, and all of our mind if we're wrapped up in the bondage of sin, if we're wrapped up in demonic oppression? How can we be benefit, beneficial to the kingdom if we're all wrapped up in bondage and we don't really know the Lord? And, you know, the, I think the message of God is good news. It's good news. See, we have a message of hope. It's, this is not a down message. When the prophets are saying, Christians, pray you're going to save nations, that's a message of hope. That's a message of good news, right? What if we don't pray? How many nations might go under if we don't pray? There's all kind of strange. Do you notice some of the strange things going on in the world? How many prophetic words were there about Korea, North Korea and South Korea, and now they can't find their leader? Some thinking he's not with us any longer. And others say he may. Who knows? I don't know. God knows. But it looks like they're talking about unity from the north and the south. This was, this was prophesied years ago by prophets. And God's going to perform his word if the church prays, I believe. So as we think about resetting, I'm going to go back to that 2019 message. and just, I'm just going to briefly go through the little acronym that we, that we had created for that message. And I'm going to make it a little more relevant for today, 12 months later or 15 months later. And we looked at that that word reset and, and, and what god was saying i want you to reset your life i want you to get ready for what's coming and so as we looked at that little acronym we I, i'm going to just go through the r-e-s-e-t uh, r-e-s-e-t reset i had to stop and think a minute yeah so we're going to look at each one of those and what it really means and wh- how can that apply to our life i believe these are just little tools that we use to uh, my people are laughing at me because I didn't know how to spell and I'm sitting here looking at it but anyway these are little tools I love things that help me remember I learned this when I was in uh, I think junior high you, you associate something if you want to remember it, you associate it with something so I want to remember and I want to remember as much as I can remember so let's start looking at the word reset r-e-s-e-t Dan <laughs> and, and so that first letter r what, did the, what does the first letter R stand for? It means renew your passion for God. We're in a time where you're, you're closed in. Even more than we had in, in 2019, we have time today to spend time with God. Most of us do. Most of us have had our lives slowed down a little bit, but we need to renew our passion for God. I'm going to read uh, Revelations 2, 4, and 5. This is out of the Passion, and this is what it says. This is, this is a warning to the church, by the way, in the book of Revelation. This is the same warning today to us, I believe. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Remember when you were first born again? Remember when you first married your sweetie? You couldn't stand for them to be out of your sight, can you? We've been married 40 years. I still can't stand for him to be out of my sight. I talk to him all the time. If we're in two separate cars, we're usually on the phone. That's what it's supposed to be, right? I don't want to be apart from him. And that's the way it should be, but it should be even more so with God. So he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Reflect. We talked about that. Reflect on how far you have fallen. Where are you? Judge yourself that you not be judged. So you don't let somebody else judge you. You judge yourself. Let the Holy Spirit work with you. And the incredible thing about the way God works is when he reveals, well, you're off a little bit. He's just saying, come on, I'm going to show you how to get right back up there. It's not, a, I say it all the time. He doesn't condemn. He convicts. And he wants us to be back and right. He wants us to be passionate. And he says, repent and do the works of love you did at first. 
Repent and do the works of love. You did it first. See, there are some works to showing love, right? There's some works. You know, my husband asked me to cook recently. That's a work of love. And let me know it is a work of love for me to. <laughs> I love cooking, but I've kind of gotten out of the habit of doing it. So when he asked me, he said he wanted a meal. I said, okay, I'll fix it. What would you like? And so I made that egg salad sandwich for him. So it was pretty intense. But anyway, but it shows it was just an act of love is what it was. And so he says, I will, he says, do this or I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. This is where the nation's at today. The Lord has really, I, and I keep saying the Lord, and I believe this with all my heart, has, has created this opportunity for us to pull ourselves aside and reflect on where we are as individuals and as churches. And I want to ask you, what did your first love look like? And what does your love look like now? And so we think, well, how much does God really expect? You, may, you want to know how much God expects? He expects everything. He expects all. In Matthew ten thirty seven, Jesus says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. You think, wow, that's kind of hard. But you know, it's only for our benefit, right? If God says, if you give me 10, I'm giving you back 100. So if you, if you love them more than you love me, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt where I, what I've called you to do. He said, if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. That's a wake-up call for parents who will allow dysfunction in their home when God, they know clearly what God's Word says. See, when a parent lets a child get by with sin and dysfunction that's against God's Word, they're loving their son and daughter more than they love God. And then it says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. So I, I just got some, I, I just want you to listen to this. This is from Zacharias T. Foman. He's a missionary, professor, scientist, theologian, lover of God. And this is what he says are the characteristics of first love. See how many of these you have. Number one, it's hot. There's nothing cold about it. Is your love for God hot? Number two, how do you know if it's cold? Well, I don't want to go to prayer tonight. I don't even want to get up and pray. I don't want to read my Bible. Well, I know they're hungry, but they, that was their fault. They, I mean, shouldn't have made the decisions they made. So we lose love in our heart for God. We lose love in our heart for people. Okay, uh, first love is spontaneous. It just flows on its own. Number three is extravagant. It holds back nothing and gives all for the moment. Are we willing to give all? Well, we got to hold back some. Well, I got to hang on to this, God. You never know what's going to happen next week when God's clearly saying, do this. Number four is full of joy. Full of joy. How joyful are we? Number five, it does not seek fulfillment outside of its object of affection. In other words, it's not running around on God. If you love your spouse, you're not going running around looking for affection somewhere else, right? If you're loving God, you're not looking for affection somewhere else. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you and tell you where that is, what that's going on in your life, that maybe you're looking to God somewhere else for fulfillment, kind of like Eve did. She saw that the apple was good. Oh, it looks delicious. It'll make me wise. What was she doing? She was looking for fulfillment outside of God. Number six, it does everything to satisfy the slightest desire of the beloved. The slightest desire. Make that egg salad sandwich. Make, do whatever it might be. Don't complain when they throw their clothes in the floor, right? Wives, don't do that. Let's, let's bless them. Let's love them. Let's teach them to do better in love and patience. Does everything to be in the presence of the beloved. It does everything to be in the presence of the beloved. It speaks constantly about the beloved. It can't be quiet. It concerns me sometimes when we're in church and, and the and this conversation going on in the foyer area is all about the, the football game coming up that day, and there's not a thing wrong with football, not a thing wrong. But it should be about the Lord. It should be about the Lord. Our conversation should be about the Lord. What do, the, what do they tell, uh, what the Lord tell Moses? He says, you tell the parents when they go out to talk about the Lord, when they come in, talk about the Lord, when they get up, talk about the Lord, when they go to bed. How many of our children hear that on a daily basis? Number nine, it gets rid of anything that displeases the beloved. And it might be different things for different people. Different things for different people. You know, I majored in, in uh, a minor, excuse me, I majored in chemistry, minored in English literature. And so I had all of these incredible books that I kept for the longest time. And finally, one day, and I, was lo I loved reading these, these fictional novels, you know, especially in the early 20s, the authors. 
And uh, one day I was just sitting there with all my books. And I was just looking at my books. And the Lord said, I want you to get rid of them. And I thought, whoa, that must be the devil speaking to me. Surely God wouldn't tell me to get rid of my books. But he kept working. So I just kind of walked away. And I think it was just a few days later I heard it again, get rid of the books. And I got rid of the books. But he let me keep a few. But I got rid of the books. Because some of the books really didn't have things in them that was honoring. I mean, it wasn't bad books. I'm just saying it just wasn't, it wasn't pleasing to God. It didn't glorify God in some of the, the writing. So what is God asking you to get rid of? It might be to get rid of technology for a season. Maybe it's to spend a time fasting and prayer. Maybe it's to eliminate a relationship. We talked about toxic relationships last week. What is the, maybe it's a certain type of music you're listening to or maybe a certain type of thing that you view or movies or TV. What is God asking you to get rid of in your life? And are you willing to do it because you know it displeases him? And number 10... It always, a person who is at first love always takes the side of their beloved. Always takes the side of their beloved. How much do we love God? You can just think about how many of those could you put a check by and how many did you put a minus by. So that's R. E, E, the letter E, eliminate unnecessary baggage. Eliminate unnecessary baggage. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, that word weight, listen to what it means. Something immaterial that interferes with or delays action or progress. So it may not be a visible thing. It may be an invisible thing. It may be hurt. It may be unforgiveness. It may be anger. It may be depression. He said, get rid of it. And he goes on to say, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What is our pet sin? What is that thing we run to? And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Several years ago, or maybe, no, it was just a year or so ago. uh, No, it was just in December, I believe. Terry, come on up. I want you to talk about a dream that you had that I believe the Lord gave you, and it's concerning baggage. In the dream, I was at a train station, and you would think at a train station, you'd automatically be going to a destination that would be pleasing and a good place to go to, and this was. I knew I was there to go somewhere when I arrived. It was going to be good. But I stood there for some time, and I couldn't get on the train. And I stood, and I stood, and I stood. It seemed like forever I stood there. And they, it, it's not that they wouldn't let me on. I could not get on the train. And I looked down beside of me, and my hands were down by my side, and they were filled with baggage. I just thought about something this morning, Donna. They didn't have luggage. They had baggage. Mm. When we travel, and that may be synonymous with each other, but when we travel, we take luggage. My hands were filled with baggage. And when I saw that, I knew That was the problem. I couldn't get on the train with baggage. I had so much. So I continued to stand, knowing full well I had to let go. And the moment I just released both hands, I let go, and I walked on the train, and we literally took off to the journey, and it was going to be a good destination. I believe that's an example of the body of Christ. We have a lot of baggage And we just have to let go because God wants to take us to a good place. Did you not, uh, maybe you said this, did you say that no one else could see your baggage but you? Yeah, no one could see it. Thank you. It was hidden from everybody else. Even though, Wayne, I may have been standing beside of someone, they could not see my baggage. And in the dream, I warned them to know I've got baggage. But they couldn't see it. Only I knew I had baggage. And only I could let it go. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, we use this analogy a lot in our Luke 418 ministry of getting rid of baggage. Eventually, our baggage will reveal itself. And it usually reveals itself with those we love the most. It might be an anger uprising. It could be unforgiveness that's popping through. It could be bitterness. It could be depression that, that comes through when something gets triggered. But God says, I want you to eliminate all the unnecessary baggage because what it does is it just weighs you down. And you can't run the race that you need to run effectively with all of this baggage. So we need to eliminate the baggage. And then S, we need to simplify our life. You say, well, that's the same thing. Not really. It's not the same thing. First Corinthians, excuse me, second Corinthians 1 12 says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. 
not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. And so we think about what is simplicity? It's the absence of complexity. Sometimes we just, and, and technology, you know, is very complex to me. I mean, I can, I'm fairly good at technology, but there's a reaches a point I just say, Zach, you got to do this. I don't have a clue what I'm doing here because it's so complex. Well, life shouldn't be complex, right? Now, the Bible does tell us he has made us wonderfully complex in Psalm 139. But see, God did that. God knows everything about us. But our life should not be, it should be absence of complexity. It should be practical. And people who live simple lives are very practical. They're healthier, they're happier, and they're better off financially, according to research and statistics. In some way, the only way to figure out what is really important is to get rid of everything that isn't. See, I think we're, we've been given an opportunity in this, in this lockdown that we're in to really look at what's really important. One of the very first things we did was we brought a big dumpster into our driveway, and we just got rid of stuff. And we were amazed. We ordered 10 yards. They brought in a 30-yard. We said, we'll never fill that. We filled it and still didn't get it finished. Stuff that we had accumulated for 40 years, I guess, 40 and certainly 28 years that we've been in the house we're in. So we need to get rid of stuff. And, and simplicity simply means order. It means clarity. Uh, Acts 2.46 says, And day after day they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. They partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder but of, of peace. So simplicity means that we have less chaos and less confusion in our life. And it's a state of being uncomplicated. It's freedom from any kind of pretense. You know, when your life is all, all you know, complicated, and you think about, you know, you're, we talked about this Wednesday, we're projecting an image, but it's not who we really are. So we get all, we get all worked up and, and stressed and filled with anxiety because we're trying to maintain that image. It's not even who we are. So uh, Leonardo da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Simplicity is the ultimate uh, sophistication so it's the absence of disorder it's the absence of confusion it's the absence of chaos and i'll tell you when you see confusion you usually find witchcraft we've seen that through the years when there's confusion in a home in an office in a church there's usually a spirit of witchcraft that's operating so we know that god is not of that right we know that god is not so we need to declutter our lives we need to become simple in our lives and the second e is we need to enlarge our vision R, we need to what? Restore our passion. E, we need to eliminate baggage. S, we need to get simple, simplify our life. E, we need to enlarge our vision. And Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. The problem is we have a, we have a finite man's vision where God wants to give us an infinite godly divine wisdom vision with his wisdom, Right? See, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. What we think might be the right, God's saying that's not where I'm going at all. And I think this is where the church has been at large because the church has got these ideas of what we should be doing. God's saying that's not even who I am in many cases. It's not even what I'm about. He says, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. You know, yesterday I was walking through my house and I, I saw a picture of something, a little bonsai plant. And I wrote a little blog on it. Some of you may have read it already. But at the topic I put, uh, the title I put, Don't Be a Bonsai Christian. And, you know, many times for years I thought a bonsai was a particular type of tree. But it's not a plant. It's not a plant at all. What a bonsai is is simply a, it's a process for stunting growth. So you can put any kind of plant you want into a small dish and the, and the size of the dish will determine the size that the plant grows to. And we've seen that happen with believers. You know, believers, we put our lives into a container that we have chosen, whether it's a container of religion or it's a container of, of, of wrong paradigms or whatever it might be, or, or just the, you know, the uh, reflections of our past, our abuse, the, all these things that we haven't dealt with, our shame, our insecurities. These are things that can stunt our growth, and we get root-bound, just like that bonsai tree does. And that thing gets root-bound, and it stops growing. And many Christians spend all of their lives never really fulfilling and becoming what God has called them to become. And if you think about that little bonsai plant or, or, or tree, whatever you want to call it, uh, all it is is a reflection of what it could be. It's a very small reflection of what it could be. 
And so that's, we don't want to live our lives being a very small reflection of what God has called us to be. Ephesians 3.18 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Let me tell you, God is for you. He's not against you. And I believe, and we just through the years, we have done so many things, you know, in business and church. Whatever you're thinking, it, thinking is much too small. It's not what God is thinking. Whatever you're thinking, God wants to blow it wide open. And Ephesians 54, 2 and 3 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. You will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, and will people the desolate cities. Whatever you're, Ask God to give you his vision for your life, his determination of destiny for you, not what you have decided. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only. I talked about this a moment, but still kill and destroy. He said, but I've come to get, not just to give you life where you're slipping by, but he said, I came to give you life abundantly. One translation says, profusely overflowing with good things. That's, that's how God sees our life. And, you know, we limit God sometimes when we don't understand who he is. We don't understand his plan because we've become so, we've become so, um, focused on the church vision we have to ask ourselves is this see we have to become kingdom people not church people and i pray that when we come out of this lockdown we're no longer going to be focused on the church we're going to be focused on the kingdom of god and god what does that look like we uh cross-stitched something right after we got married it's been will be 40 years in june right after we got married that's how long it's been and we saw this somewhere and it says attempt something so impossible that unless god is in it it's doomed to fail and sometimes when we've had the Lord speak to us to do certain things and we're thinking, God, that's impossible. How are we going to do this? We remember that little cross-stitching. Attempt something so impossible that unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. What size is your vision today? Are you limiting God? You know, you can't know what, your, what God's vision is for you unless you're spending time with Him, unless you're in relationship with Him. And uh, we said that last week. Everything begins with relationship with God. And then the last letter is T, and that's training ourselves for godliness. Training ourselves for godliness. And, you know, we think, well, I shouldn't have to train myself. I mean, goodness sakes, I just come to church, I enjoy the service, and I'm just kind of a spectator for 40 years. No, that's not what the Word says. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In other words, he's saying, get some sound teaching. Get some sound teaching. Don't, be in, don't get in arguments about crazy stuff that means nothing. What's the Word of God say? But he says, rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. And that, tra- that word train is the word for gymnasium. You know, and what do you do in a gymnasium? You go in and, you know, no pain, no gain, right? So we're lifting weights that are a little bit more than we think we can lift. Well, that's what the way God wants. He wants us to move a little more than we think we can move because in our weakness, his strength is revealed. In our inability, his ability is revealed. And so there's nothing wrong with having spiritual routines. And, you know, the enemy's done a real number on the church. The enemy's told the church that, well, if you, you know, reading through the Bible in a year or getting up every morning at five, that's legalism. You don't want to do that. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with training ourselves for godliness. We need to do the same things there that we would do if we would go to the gym or on our job or whatever we're doing at home. Don't you routinely cut your grass? What happens when you don't? It goes crazy, right? Don't you routinely clean, clean your bathroom? What happens when you don't? But why should we not routinely then train ourselves to live a life of godliness? So... Uh, Psalm 144 says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for the battle. Psalm 118.34 says the same thing. says, He trains my hands for battle. You don't want to go into battle unless you've been trained, right? When our son went into the military, he had to go through boot camp. Well, a lot of Christians try to avoid boot camp. I say, I'm just going to bypass boot camp. I'm just going to come right on. I, I think I can teach a class so I can run the youth or I can lead worship. And they haven't been through boot camp. They don't even know what's in their heart. They don't have allowed God to work through some stuff in their lives. So, so uh, Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Have the, the ability to recognize. See, a lot of times, if we don't have maturity, we're not going to recognize what's right and wrong. So what do we do? We embrace the wrong thing, thinking it's the right thing. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Is that not right? So how do we train ourselves? And I think maybe we've lost the tool for training for godliness in the church sometimes. 
You know, the kids didn't want to come to Sunday school, so what do we do? We stop Sunday school and we start kids' church. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we teaching them what they need to know? I know we are here. We're teaching them the Word of God. We're teaching them how to pray. We're teaching them how to live a holy and a godly life. We're teaching them what's right and wrong. But many times it's just, let's just entertain the kids. Let's get them out of the parents' hair for an hour. Right? So how do we train ourselves? We train with the prayer, with word, with obedience, by resisting fleshly temptations. We do that. We don't run from issues. We run to God when we have issues. And it's, and it's through our adversities that we gain strength. Is that not true? It's through our adversities that we get. We see who we really are in our times of adversity. As we said a couple of weeks ago, adversity just strips us down to our fighting weight. And adversity reveals the real us. So in this time that we're in now, what are we, what are we seeing about ourselves? Are we complaining? Are we complaining? Are we mad at God? Are we think we're just losing everything? What are we doing in this time? It might be a real key to where God wants to take us during this time, I believe. I'm going to close with one final scripture. It's one of our favorites. And actually, this was our theme for, I believe, 2016, 17. And that is run to win. We run to win. Everything we do, we run to win. You say, do I believe in prosperity? You better believe it. I believe what you put your hands to prospers. But what happens is our mind usually always goes to money. See, what we put our hands to prospers. We want to do work in our community. We're expecting that to prosper. We're expecting God to bring in the, the resources, right? What about what you put your hands to raising your children? That should prosper. Your business, whatever it might be, your ministry. But what we put our hands to prospers because we focus continually on the word day and night. We don't take counsel with the ungodly. See, God's got a plan for prosperity. Back to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Don't live aimlessly. Live with intention. Get up in the morning and intentionally go to work if you're working. Get up in the morning and intentionally have a plan for your day. Don't just say, well, whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll just kind of see how the day goes. That's not living intentionally. That's aimlessly living. So when we have aimless, when we have aimless hours or, or, or hours filled with aimlessness, what the enemy's there to fill them with something. We need to be intentional. Be people, be people of, of sincerity. And he goes on to say, he says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. You've never seen a person in the Olympics that wasn't disciplined, have you? or a football player, or a basketball player, or a baseball player. These people have all had severe disciplining in their lives. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, every one of us can run to win and win the prize. God's got enough prizes for everybody. He's an equal opportunity employer. And then it says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. We talk to people all the time, and I'll say, what's your goal in life? I don't know. Well, what's your dreams? I don't know. Never had any. And so they live all their lives with no purpose, no aim. no. They just get up in the morning, and whatever, life just hits them in the face. Instead of running their day, their day runs them. And then a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, and they can't understand, well, how did this happen? Suddenly they find themselves older, and they don't have things they need in life. They haven't prepared. Let me tell you, God, God is there for us. Paul is talking about the need to lay aside everything to win the race. And what was the purpose? It's for others. It's for others. It's not to get a, a, a necklace around your neck. It's not for that. This is what he said. He said, I became weak to the weak to win the weak. We become weak to the weak to win the weak. This is the passion. He says, I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win the people to Christ. How easy is it for us to adapt to the culture of other people? Or do we look down our nose at, at people? Let me tell you, if you've ever worked with an addict, you better learn how they think. You better learn their culture. Now, you don't want to bring them out of that culture, but you have to do it in a way. You wanna, you, they're weak. And we become weak to win the weak. We understand their culture. We understand what their needs are. We understand how they got there. We understand that we, except for God, we could have been the same way. And then it goes on to say, I've done all of this so that I could become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. God's partner for the sake of the gospel. 
So we need to reset our life for purpose. We need to reset our lives to win the lost. We need to reset our lives to love God with all of our heart. We need to reset our lives to see what he sees, to grasp his vision, and to deliver a message of hope to a dying world. That's what we're called to do, church. We're not just called to come in here on Sunday morning, play a few songs, have a message, go out, and nothing happens in our life. We're called to bring transformation. We're called to transform our city. The disciples came into town, and they turned the city upside down. What have we turned upside down lately? Have we turned our families upside down? Have we turned our city upside down? How about our jobs, our school? We are called to bring change. We're called to make a difference. That's what the church is called to do. That's what ecclesia is all about. It's not about just meeting on Sunday. That's a club. You can join a club. It's about making change and and bringing hope to people. I believe God is calling the church to accountability today. But I don't think everybody's going to hear. And I don't think everybody's going to see. So we need to pray that God will open up eyes and ears. We need to pray that wrong paradigms are shifted in the minds of people. We need to pray that religious spirits are broken that allows people to see what truth really is. I believe many have been lulled to sleep by excess clutter in their lives. Self-fulfillment demands. We've become a, a culture of self. It's all about me. It's all about self. We need to be one to be free to share the gospel, quick to share the gospel, and not just talk about the ball game or not just talk about the football game. We've got to wake up. We've got to reset, and we've got to go. It's time to go. It's time for us to get outside these doors. You say, well, we're limited. We can't. Well, I'm telling you, you want to go somewhere? Go to Lowe's or go to Home Depot. Let me tell you, they are unlimited. I saw a cute thing that said Home Depot has 500 people out in their building, so we're doing service in the plumbing department. I thought that was so cute. Yeah, so we can't do it in churches, but go where they're at. Find the people. People you work with every single day need to hear what you know, what you heard today. They need to know that they can reset. They can press that reset button, and their lives can be different. Now, reset doesn't always mean that you go back to where you were. Reset also means we're going to a place we've never been before. Because we realize this place hasn't worked that we've been in. So it's time for the church to rise. It's time for the church to get off of it. It's time for the church to be the church. And it's time for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you, Father God. Lord, I pray, stir the hearts of your people. God, let us not be satisfied with status quo Christianity. Let us not be satisfied with church as usual. Lord, let us not be satisfied, Father, with just mundane, average life. God, you didn't call us to be average. You called us to be, you called us to be an exciting force in the world. You called us to turn things upside down. You called us, called us to be transformers. God, and I pray your people would wake up. I, I pray your people would come to the knowledge of the great power that, that's resident in each one of us, Lord. The same power that raised you from the grave is alive and at work in us. God, that we can bring change. We can bring transformation. Nothing is too difficult. God, what we put our hands to prospers. And God, you provide. You always make provision for the vision. You give us the vision. You give us the provision. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, again, I pray for every person listening. I pray for a mighty wake-up call to hit your people. I pray for pastors and churches to come alive, Lord, with the gospel. With the heart of God. I thank you, God. I pray for signs, wonders, and miracles to follow your people, Lord. Thank you, Father God. We pray that everything we do would be done to bring glory to you, to reflect you, your glory in us, Father God. It's it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And God, that we represent you well in all that we do and say. And Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today for our Impact Church Online. Hey, if you got saved today or if you have a prayer request, Or if you just need to talk, give us a call or send us a message. We love you guys and we miss you and we will be seeing you soon.